Welcome to Life Pairings, where two Canadian alcohol connoisseurs mix life events and libation. Hello, I'm Carla Richards. And I'm Brittany Lysing. And, and this, this is Life, life Pairings. <laughs> <laughs> because life is hard. So pair it with alcohol. You've got this. Only a few more times. Your muscles are practically singing in their strength. And now you need to take a minute. As today's life pairing is weight training with vodka martinis. We discuss husbands as barbells, super babies, and illegal leg touching. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I didn't mean for that to sound so sultry. And I also didn't know I had a sultry voice. <laughs> Yay! It got so and, exciting so quickly. And as you can hear, we have a guest. Woo! Woo! We Yay! have a, an actual professional per, personal trainer, Caitlin Wilby. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> we're Thank so excited. We're, we're excited, <laughs> excited when somebody comes on and knows what they're talking about because we're always just like reading from an article. We're like... We're like, I hope this is right. No one's going to yell at us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I try to know what I'm talking about. I make a solid effort. That's uh, it. That's <laughs> it. We sometimes try. Perfect. Um, well, do you want to give a little kind of intro to what you do? We, 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 who you are? Sure. I could I could do that. Yeah. I think I, think okay. I also know who I am. <laughs> <laughs> Good, good. I don't. I, don't know I who mean, I who does really? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but yes, so I am a personal trainer um, working out of Vancouver, BC, which is where Carla and I met. Yes. Yes. Um, I train what we call general population, so average Joes and Janes, so not hardcore athletes, um, just average people, and I've been doing that for over five years now. Yeah. And that that includes me. I'm a general. <laughs> I mean, I'm a I, like I'm a general population as well. If we're being technical, so like that's a pretty big. But I mean, it would be different than say, for example, I'm a person who trains college athletes. You know, so then I'm right. Right. really not so much a relatable population to probably the people who are listening to us right now. Right. Yeah, because I think sometimes like when you like when you type in to, you want to learn about something or you want to enter like on a pretty like you know basic level. Yeah. You type something into Google and you're like, weight training. And then there, it just shows you jacked up people and you're like so intimidated. You're like, oh, God, I want to just talk to somebody who n does this for normal folks. Yes, exactly. And like what you do with somebody who has never worked out before is really, really different than you what you would do with somebody who's been training for, you know, as an athlete their whole life or even somebody who's been training out for, training for five years. Um, so, so yeah, it really is a different skill set, and it really is a different approach than, like you said, what you would necessarily get if you just type weight training into Google. Do you find people are, are pretty intimidating when they first start, or intimidated rather, <laughs> when they first start? <laughs> they want to be, Regular, they yeah. will be intimidating later. <laughs> um, yeah, they definitely can be. Um, I'd say people come in with a variety of different perspectives on, you know, what weight training, what personal training is all about and what it's going to be like. Um, I mean, I think some people think that it's going to be like really harsh and I'm going to be this like really, really scary, intimidating person who's yelling at them. And uh, 
Um, I think Carla can attest to that not being me. <laughs> That's true. I just don't want to disappoint you, which is the perfect motivation. For me. <laughs> if you yelled at me, I would just walk away. But yeah, it just, <laughs> I, I have been told I have a strong, disappointed mom face. Yeah, <laughs> it's That's good. pretty good. Good, good motivation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, really, like, I'm, I'm trying to help people get stronger and feel better. Um, those are two really big things that I help a lot of people with. And I want to do that with, like, weight training programs that are balanced, that are effective, that make sense, that are based on science, um, and that are not based on some of the myths that we're going to be talking about or that I'm going to be talking about later on. Fantastic. What, is, uh, what does all this mean uh, to you, Carla, weight training and working out and stuff like that? That's, that's usually a thing we chat about. Yeah. So I started weight training in my teens, I think, um, while I was being a dancer as well. And so I've always done weight training um, and I've kind of dabbled in and out with trainers and stuff. But I think I've been with Kaylin now for, I don't know, four yeah. years. It feels like forever. I feel like. <laughs> in a good way. Like, hopefully. I remember. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so actually training with you, it's, it's totally changed my perspective on the goals for, for training mm. and weightlifting. It's not, you know, your goal is not necessarily, I'm going to get to a hundred pounds of this. It's, you know, much more, I'm going to make sure that I'm using the right muscles. And especially as the older that we get, good God, our bodies are doing weird, weird things. Oh, and so truth. Major truth. <laughs> not a fan of the things our bodies are doing. No, it can be no. really uncomfortable to have bodies sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> like it, really it definitely can. can. <laughs> I also feel like that should have been like a course in school when the, when you were like, you know, like a little bit older, like when you're like 16, 17, maybe in grade, when you're graduating, they should yeah. just be like, hey, really live it up because in another 15 <laughs> years, yeah, like your life is not going to be the same. You're going to pee a little when you cough. You're going <laughs> to, it's just like all these things that I feel like they should have just warned us about. And I can yeah. remember my mom being like, just like she used to say to me, like, your mind stays the same and one day you look in the mirror and you're so different <laughs> and I was always like shut up old lady <laughs> and now I'm just like ah I should have heated her words actually you are right I hate it when that happens with parents <laughs> oh I know they're usually the truth is they're usually correct yeah yeah uh, what about you, Brittany? Are you, did you do weight training sort of when you were, cause you were a hockey player for a while? Well, you know what? It's so funny. Like, I mean, I, so much has changed. Uh, we did a lot more dry land training than we ever did weight, weight training, like off the ice would have been dry land training. And then, um, on the ice, I mean, it was just more, it was cardio, cardio, cardio. Um, and also I play, I played, uh, I think the highest level I played up to was like a junior double A. And we mm -hmm. were girls, so they weren't looking for, like, big, beefy girls. They were looking for, like, quick, fast, small skaters, you know? So weight training was never a big part of anything I did. And I was also – it was also, like, 98. So I was, like <laughs> – they were, like, eat a pound of spaghetti and skate. Like, they were big, like, carb load and, like, you know, and, and it were it – was, it was what it was, like, at the time, mm -hmm. you know, but it was very, like – I'm surprised they didn't have us uh, smoking a pack of darts in between periods. 
Like I just, like I feel like so much has changed about the way um we work out and the way yeah. that uh, it's just like a, a lot of science has has proven the old theories wrong and probably yeah. for the better. So I'm actually I'm I'm very excited about this podcast because I'm I'm so new to it all and um it's something that I I'm interested in taking up. So to hear about it kind of firsthand is a pretty exciting experience. Yay. Yeah. And how did you get into uh, weight training, Caitlin? Um, I mean, it was something that I always did. I mean, not always. I wasn't literally born doing it, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it was actually really, <laughs> it was really early on that I started getting interested. Like, I, I think it was grade six, to be honest, that the wow. concept okay. of weight yeah. training entered my life. And it was, do you remember those like fitness tests? Yeah, we had to do and it was like you had to do like a certain number of like sit-ups and a certain number of push-ups and you had to like run a mile like all those yeah and I I just became like absolutely (laughs) determined that I was going to beat the push-up and the sit-up record for my class and so like that was like I started training and which at the time was not at all scientific so by the way pretty much everything I've debunked or that I'm going to debunk like I've believed at a certain point or like I've screwed up and like have had right. to recover from. So I just wanted you to know that not only are these like researched from like a research level, um, they're also experienced personally. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> so I did not train very intelligently when I was in grade six, although I did break both of the records for what it's worth. Okay. I no that's idea. the most important yes. thing when you're in grade six, it, to be honest. I was going to say, there's a lot of pressure to put on a 12-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I wonder whether my parents would have maybe intervened when I was doing thousands of punches, but... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think at the time there was a bit like, yeah, you know, it's Caitlin. She does this type of thing. <laughs> that, that very much helps to have like a persistent uh, goal achieving personality as well yes. when you're when you're doing those things. Yes. Being a little bit obsessive is extremely helpful, at least in the short term, <laughs> until as we discuss, things start breaking down rapidly. <laughs> and now I've gotten much wiser. Okay, so uh, that is a perfect segue to uh, kind of come into a little bit of the myth busting. And uh, Caitlin has been kind enough, I don't know, research. These are probably things you just like already know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, these are things that I already know. But as I sat down to write, I also realized that I wanted to actually pull in some, some research from sources that are scientifically um, confirming this stuff as opposed to this is just out of my own head. So a lot of the cases here where I'm giving, um, and I'll pass these on to Carla later, but like I have, I have links and these links uh, actually provide some sources for what I'm talking about as well. So this isn't just me talking. Okay, perfect. Okay, so myth number one. Um, and this is one that's very near and dear to my heart, uh, considering what we were just talking about, and that is no pain, no gain. Right. Yeah. That's like something they always say. Everyone's like, if it doesn't hurt, then you're not doing it right. Yeah, literally everybody says this and it bothers me every single time because I just feel like we need to, we're, we're past the point that this makes sense and we need to get a whole lot smarter about training. So I wanted to break it down um, and I wanted to look at first, like, what does pain mean? So like when we say pain, like, what are we talking about? Like what, what, when I say no pain, no gain, what kind of pain are you guys thinking about? Like burning muscle pain and, and okay. like uh, out of breath and uncomfortable. And soreness the next day. Okay. Okay. Well, what's really good about that is at least you guys have a good idea of the type of pain that you will ex- uh, experience with exercise. So maybe I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we want.
want to think about breaking down what pain means. So obviously with exercise, um, there's going to be, let's call it for simplicity, good pain, and then there's going to be bad pain. Okay. Um, good pain is everything that you guys just described. So that's going to be like, you know, you're exhausted, your muscles are burning, you wake up the next day and you're sore. Bad pain, though, is something that I think we need to pay a whole lot more attention to because I feel like in toughing out the good pain, a lot of people rope into that pain that is sending you a message that you want to pay attention to. So that's right. or a pain that indicates that something bad is happening to your body. So whether that's injury um, or kind of like the threat of injury, the idea that if you keep going, it can cause something bad to happen, a muscle being pulled, something to happen to your connective tissue. So bad pain sensations would be sensations that are like sharp, you know, so suddenly like, ow, it's like right in there really hard, like a pulling feeling, the idea that like, you know, a, te a tendon is about to rip off the bone. Um, no. like a deep fine. Sorry. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> no. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> yes, these are definitely the 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 bad pain, the pain that we don't want to work through. Um, burning pain that's not muscle soreness. So so like this like fire or lava feeling in the muscle, which can indicate that you're pulling a muscle, um, like a stabbing feeling, mm -hmm. um, or anything electrical. Anything electrical can sometimes indicate something nervy is going on. But yes, uh, discomfort, discomfort of exercise, totally legit. Um, so you can have muscle burn, which is the result of muscles using its ATP or short-term fuel. Right. Exertion, exhaustion, um, and then the dreaded delayed onset muscle soreness. So those are things that are necessary. Um, although even that only to an extent. You definitely do need to have some tolerance to discomfort to have results with a weight training program, but you don't need to be a masochist. Right. You don't want to, you, you should be able to walk the next day in theory. You should be able to walk the next day. Um, <laughs> that's a very nice thing to be able to do. <laughs> for life very helpful general. for life. Yes. To be able to walk. I mean, unless you're working from home from your bed. Right. Right. Hey, I like that idea. <laughs> if you're experiencing bad pain, um, you know, any of those sharp, pulling, burning, stabbing, electrical feelings, um, that's when you actually want to stop whatever you're doing. And you want to talk to a doctor um, or a physio and talk to them about what happened, make sure everything is okay. And then once they have cleared you to exercise, because you could have something going on with your muscle or something going on with your joints, even before you start an exercise program, you know, especially starting mm -hmm. as an adult later where there's been a chance that, you know, whatever you've done early is kind of caught up with you. Right. And then after you've been cleared to work out, then it might be a good time to hire a trainer um, just to keep an eye on what you're doing during exercises because sometimes like you you watch a video on YouTube you're like sweet I totally think I can do that um, and then you go to do it and you know what your body does sometimes is what that video shows and sometimes it's not exactly what that video shows um, and it is very nice to have a second set of eyes and eyes with some education and experience going like okay um, I want you to work on this because I think probably if we don't correct xyz things then you know later on down the road you could have some problems so a yeah, lot of like definitely. form and stuff like that, that's, I mean, to have somebody to look at, watch what you're doing prevents you from hurting yourself and doing it the wrong way for, you know, much longer than you need to, I guess. Yeah, it definitely can. And, you know, sometimes you're going to do something that you'll notice that's really, really obvious. And sometimes it's going to be a little bit more subtle. Right. And I don't. That's kind of what I came across in with Caitlin's with me is that I overcompensate with lots of different muscles I'm not supposed to use. And it's something that's very natural for me. So you don't even realize until somebody like sees you and they're like, 
Why are you using your ass muscle to lift a weight above your head? <laughs> yeah. It is, it's a legit thing. And especially somebody like, I mean, Carla has like such a amazing actually background in, you know, being like dancing and doing acro. And, you know, when you do stuff like that earlier in life, and especially when you learn as a kid, like you don't teach a kid like, okay, you know, I want you to use this muscle and this muscle. So you don't talk to kids that way. You say, just do this. And they just do that. And sometimes right. the way that they just do that is a way that's going to be safe for them for their life. And sometimes the way they just do that is a way that's going to bite them later on. And that happens a fair bit. So then when that person goes and exercises as an adult, they have all of these, you know, learned ways of moving that serve them as a child doing acrobatics, but maybe not so much, you know, as as an adult trying to be pain-free and move safely. That's very interesting to me. That's like you you do something almost inherently, whatever's comfortable with you. Mm -hmm. My my body has always chosen the exact wrong way to do things. And then somebody down the line just has to come by and be like, hey, man, you can't. You just got to stop smoking darts and eating spaghetti. (laughs) Those aren't pre-exercise activities. Generally not pro-health behaviors, as it turns out. (laughs) I mean, who knew, though? Who knew? I mean, that's I that that can't possibly be my fault. No, absolutely not. You were coached. I was coached. Okay, so obviously, so we've established bad pain. Don't work through bad pain. If you experience things that give you like the no feeling that feel like they're potentially harmful, stop, go see your doctor or physio, get cleared to work out. And once you get cleared, then probably hire somebody to help you get started who's going to make sure you're doing things the right way. But once you're on this right way, then we are going to have this delayed onset muscle soreness, all of the good discomfort that we need to deal with. Um, and a lot of people, DOMS is an interesting one. So DOMS delayed onset muscle soreness um, because it's one of those, doesn't it though? (laughs) (laughs) Everybody wants DOMS. (laughs) I mean, everybody does to an extent. So DOMS is one of those interesting things where like you want some and you want it to kind of behave in a specific way, but you don't want too much because too much isn't good. Right. You kind of want the proof that you worked out. Yeah. But be able to function another yes another day does anybody know what causes doms is it i ooh, my hand is raised but nobody can see me is it the acid in your in your uh muscles Ooh, uh many people think that but believe it or not actually no Ooh. yes that was my spaghetti making coach the tell, tell me he's like ah that's just the that's the yes. lactic acid, acid in your muscles lactic acid got blamed a lot for a while but a lot has actually been debunked about lactic acid and because a lot of people think that that's what causes burning as well as this this buildup of lactic acid um and then they think that doms has to do again with that lactic acid but neither of those actually have to do with lactic acid um oh, it's, interesting yeah um so doms is actually a result of tiny microscopic tears that happen in your muscle fibers as a result of high intensity exercise and your Ooh, body so is that and that's what builds builds the muscle i guess is the Correct. the cartilage that forms around 
Well, it's, not, it's, it's actually your body like rebuilding the muscle fibers themselves. So these tiny <laughs> micro tears happen, which is what we want, believe it or not, because it sounds kind of bad, right? Like you're exercising and tearing <laughs> your muscles like this. Obvious, this sounds like it's like a concerning thing. Um, but again, to a point, it's exactly how exercise works. So you get these tiny microscopic tears and then your body goes through its natural, healthy inflammation process. So there's another like scary word, inflammation. Oh my God, we don't want inflammation. Inflammation is bad. <laughs> but in the right amount at the right time, it's actually not. The inflammation response is just what causes healing to happen. And so it inflames, lots of nutrients and oxygen get into the muscles, they heal. Um, and then the spot, your body has this super cool um, response to that type of, you know, quote unquote damage. It builds your muscle back up stronger. And that's what makes uh, you stronger. That's how I explain my weight gain. I just uh, pour a bunch <laughs> of microscopic fibers and I just fucking balloon right up. They just felt that stronger. <laughs> I'm just stronger. That's what I tell everybody. I'm like, I'm gonna need a double XL because I'm just feeling very strong today. <laughs> so yeah, so DOMS can show up kind of in like a, a range. So in some cases, it'll show up like the day of training, um, like a couple of hours later, and it can take up to a couple of days after. Um, basically, the quicker the DOMS shows up the less muscle damage you're dealing with. And then the reverse is true. The longer it takes DOMS to show up, the more muscle damage occurs. So if your DOMS shows up like three days after yeah. you work out, you are probably screwed and you're going to be sore for a really long time. Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there are individual differences too. So like some people get DOMS more easily than others. Some people get DOMS in certain muscles um, more so than others. Like some people, like you work their calves and they get terrible DOMS, but you give that same type of workout to like their abs and they would be more or less fine. Interesting. Yeah, there are lots and lots of individual differences with exercise and everything to do with it. That's something I think that people get overwhelmed by is like mm -hmm. the fact that you 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 see one generic thing and this is yes. exactly what's supposed to happen. Yes. And if this doesn't happen to you, then you're not doing it right yeah, or you're or not wrong with you or. Yeah. Yeah. Which is too bad. Um, I, I think one of the reasons we don't speak to individual differences very much is because it gets complicated. You know, there's a whole lot like people who are, like are really serious about like exercise from an evidence science perspective. Like you start get we give really frustrating answers because a lot of the times it's like, you know, what's, what's the best exercise to do? And you're like, well, it depends. Yeah. Right. It depends on your yeah. body type, depends on your strength level, well, depends on injury history. But we don't like, we don't like that in our society. We want to <laughs> like, no, I want um, to be able to wear crop tops. So I need one exercise. <laughs> yes, exactly. I just, I would like the crop top exercise. If you could stop holding out on me and just <laughs> yeah. do the crop top exercise, that would be great. Thank you. <laughs> Well, that's, that too is, I think that's the human uh, condition is just to want answers to solve problems is just, yes. okay. So I, you, we want to be able to, I mean, it's the same with weight loss. It's the same, you know, any, anything exercise related or health related, you just want somebody to tell you, do this one thing and you'll be yeah. fine. And that's never what the case is. No, never. Yeah. Often really what's true about that as well is um, the importance of you becoming the expert on yourself. Ooh, I love that phrase, actually. Yeah. yeah. Because then you start being able to decipher the, it depends. Because the more that you know about you, the more that you can know, like, what is your exercise history? Well, I'm a person who, um, you know, did acro until I was 16 years old and I had injuries. Okay, so, you know, what's the, is this exercise appropriate for me? Well, let me think about what I know about myself. 
right? Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That it, it allows you to take some of the control back and then answer your own mm-hmm. questions. So exactly. you're not always craving, you know, well, I wonder what this is. I wonder, like, then you sort of know what it is. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, like, you know, we touched on, like, we all want this, like, quick fix. And I think a big reason for that is that we, it, it's it's really intimidating to think about, like, taking ownership and really educating yourself, like, wading through all of this stuff on the internet and starting to learn about, like, learn about the body. So not just about, like, what's this ideal exercise, but, like, if you start to learn about the body, then it becomes a lot easier to filter everything else that's out there. Right. Yeah, and I think, I think it's a bummer, and I don't know, I mean... Perhaps I'm just being old and curmudgeon-y, but it's specifically this generation. And, you know, sometimes us included is that, uh, well, specifically us, uh, millennials included, (laughs) is that you don't really, like, when you find out that the thing you have to do to achieve the thing you want is work, it's, you're like, come on. (laughs) Give us something easy, like Netflix. I just want a pill. Can I take a pill for this? It would be so nice, but I, I mean, know. maybe this is, so I've been informed that what I think is fun actually isn't fun. Um, <laughs> this happens to me all the time. So I'm just going to like say what I'm about to say with that caveat. But once you kind of like burst through the idea that like, you're going to have to learn some stuff, it can actually be like a really cool and really fun and really interesting process. I, I, yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll side with you on that. I do think that's fun because you know what? I, I have the uh, burden of like, it's anything it's before the activity. I just can't get into it. I don't even want to think about it. I want to call somebody. I don't want to do the thing. I don't want to, it overwhelms me in such a way. But then when I do the activity, I'm like, well, isn't this fun? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I start really enjoying it and getting into it and setting goals and then, you know, becoming competitive with myself or the team you're involved with. It definitely can be fun. You just have to, it, it, I think the step to move towards it is yeah. the hardest part sometimes. Yeah. It's the getting the momentum going, like bursting through that initial resistance. Mm-hmm. All right. So I want to say a couple of things about DOMS before we leave it. Um, okay. Because we talked about like some doms is good and you should expect that and that's normal. There is a too much dom. So I just want to quickly touch on what that looks like because it's not great. So so you should see a doctor um, if your doms lasts for longer than seven days. Oh, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You should see a doctor if you have serious doms and your urine becomes abnormally dark. And, oh. and if you have severe swelling in your arms and legs. Oh, goodness. So these are symptoms of a condition. I don't know if you guys have heard about this. This is a fabulous word of a condition called rhabdomyolysis. Ooh, no. Yes. Has anybody ever heard of this? No, I think it would no. be odd if I had a... <laughs> I was like, actually. <laughs> you know why? So one of this... this so I'll, so the rhabdomyolysis is a condition in which basically there's there's more muscle damage than the body can handle. The kidneys get overwhelmed. Um, and in severe cases, like you're dealing with muscle cell death, basically. Oh. And if, it, if it's too severe and if it goes on for too long, you can end up with kidney damage or it can actually kill you. And it gets important to mention in like a general population context, um, because it's actually a lot more common, um, or it's, it is a risk factor to be like an older untrained person who starts doing very intense fitness. 
So this right. is something okay. that comes or has come up in uh, the context of CrossFit. Right. Is CrossFit, I have like a question before. Yeah. Is CrossFit <laughs> insane? <laughs> I or is no. it, is it a good, is it a good thing? Uh, okay. Um, so it depends. Right. <laughs> it just seems like 65 year old women should not be flipping tires in a parking lot. Actually, you know what? 50 or 67 year old women should absolutely be flipping tires in a parking lot. If that's what okay. Fuck. Yeah. So I take that, that back then. That, actually, as long, again, as long as their fitness level is appropriate for that. So if you took like, you know, a completely untrained, you know, 67 year old woman and said here take this like 100 pound tire please flip it i'm going to give you like a very small amount of instruction on how to do so please don't do that that is a very bad idea but you know if you had a 67 year old woman who had been learning how to deadlift properly um and she had worked up to where you know that 100 pound tire was a very reasonable load compared to what she'd been doing before and then you said okay like we've been deadlifting now i want you to flip this tire and i'm gonna actually add the caveat that probably you wouldn't want to start a, a 100 pound tire probably you would want to <laughs> start with a lighter start with a lighter tire but if you gave her instruction on how to do it properly that is absolutely a very reasonable um exercise for her to do i love that answer that is <laughs> because yeah. it's like Sorry, go ahead. No, it's just it. That's I mean, it just uh, I'm. I think that again, people go in with like these big expectations, or they, you know, like the one once all cure all, yeah. And they're gonna go flip these tires in parking lots, and then they're gonna be fine. Yeah. Um, but I love knowing that you know what? Yeah, you can work up to that. That's exactly what you you can and should be doing if you want to. But don't start with an insane. I am kind of uh. notorious for being like i played hockey in the ninth grade so i can flip a hundred pound tire yes and then i will tear my whole back out absolutely (laughs) that is a very so that is actually like a very very typical thing for people who have done especially pretty hardcore exercise pretty early in their life because just like you age and your brain is still the same but your body changes like in your brain you're always like the fittest you've ever been like you can always yes. do absolutely yeah. everything that you've ever been able to do, like at whatever peak that somehow still just stays there. Cause like in my time I've, um, in my time, Oh my God, <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like I'm at the point I get to say that, but like, so in, in my fitness journey though, I mean, I beat those two records in grade six. Um, yeah. I've run an, I've run two marathons. Um, I've competed, not like seriously high level, but I've competed in CrossFit competitions. Um, right. I've deadlifted quite like quite a bit. You know what I mean? Like I've I've done a fair amount of things, but oh, I've done pole dancing where I could flip myself upside down. Ooh. None of those things at this precise moment could I do without harming myself. But <laughs> in my mind, I... if I were to approach any of those, there would be a level where I'd be like, yeah, I should just be able to do this. This I've done it before. Seems like no problem. I feel like it's it uh, yeah I feel exactly like that like even with hockey like I put on the skates and went out and played with the boys at the rink and I was just not at the level and I had also like it's it would have been all comedian so I had been like just pumping my old skills up too because we just you know roast (laughs) each other nonstop. So just for the week previous to us playing, I was like, I'm going to burn you guys. I'm going to, you should see me out there. I was, and then I got out there and I was like, oh no, (laughs) 
my feet hurt. I'm so out of breath. I like, you know, maybe my stick handling skills were still there, but like certainly the cardio yeah. and the yeah, like the, the muscles in your ass you need. I just was. Oh boy. <laughs> Did I eat my words? Ate a lot of crow that day, I'll tell you. <laughs> All right. So bringing this myth back together. So we're looking at no pain, no gain. Um, and obviously there is, so there's pain that you want to pay attention to, that you want to stop and like evaluate what's going on. And then there's pain that you're going to have to deal with as a part of exercising. And that's like the burning, the tired, the doms. Um, what ultimately matters most is basically that you're seeing consistent progress in your weight training program. So whether and that's you know progress in whatever way you want to see progress, like we should see your weights glowing up slowly over time, you know, not on any specific schedule, but gradually they should be increasing. Um, you should be able to do more over time, and you don't want to be like so sidelined with DOMS that you can't actually keep to your schedule. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Because that's the other thing too is like don't work out super hard if you have lots of DOMS. It doesn't get better. <laughs> Recover. <laughs> Recover and maybe okay. So it's not it's not like a hangover where you do the the hair of the dog. No, no, it's not so much. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, a little bit, a little bit, you get away with it. You do want to move, like you want to, like you know, go for a walk, do some gentle yoga, something like that. But no, you don't want to hit like the same type of workout that like gave you the very intense soreness that you're dealing with. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So myth number two: um, more exercise is always better. I still believe that, even though in my head it probably shouldn't. It's a tough one. Like, it's a legitimately a tough one because I feel like, on one hand, probably most of us need to do more than we're doing, you know? So yeah. you kind of don't want to be like, oh, like, I don't want to believe that because it'll let me off the hook from doing exercise. Right. But at the same time, I think sometimes the idea of, like, what people think their next step is is so intense that it stops them from doing anything at all because that idea then is, like, just so intimidating. It's insurmountable. You like look at something and you're like, oh God, that's just such a big hill to climb. Yeah. So I think that getting people past that, I think actually honestly getting people past that is sometimes a big part of my job. Um, Because a lot of what I do, like, because I have quite a few clients where, you know, I see them in person, you know, once or twice a week, and then I give them homework to do by themselves. And I mean, when I give people homework, I think sometimes people are surprised that it's not more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like, like, give me an example of something you would give for homework. Um, so like, let's say I'm seeing a person who's brand new to exercise. They've never weight trained before. Um, often I'll just give them one additional day of maybe 30 minutes to do by themselves. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's not, it's not like this big thing where you're like, it's an everyday thing. You have to do it for an hour. It's... Yeah. No, 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 no. Especially not if somebody isn't exercising that much already. Because like we talked about with Dumbs, like often the first time somebody works out when they haven't for a really long time, they're going to be super sore and super tired for a while. You know, right. I, I don't want to hit that person again and make them, you know, doubly, triply more sore. Because then, I mean, for one, they can't do much else. Two, they can end up with like so much inflammation that they end up getting sick or injured. Um, and three, they're just going to be so tired and discouraged because now exercise is something that just feels really terrible. It makes them tired all the time. And none of those, right. none of those are the goal of, of a weight training, of a good weight training program. I'm liking this more and more that we speak about it. <laughs> well, it is just not so, it's not so intimidating. It's not so like, you know, these are the expectations of like, if we come back in a week and you haven't completed them, then 
Yeah, and, and I mean, honestly, if somebody comes back and says they haven't done their homework, then usually what we're going to look at is like what didn't work about the homework. See, I love that. But it, I yeah. also sometimes don't do my homework. Carla does Caitlin sometimes. Does not yell at me. Also, <laughs> also, like Carla doesn't do her homework uh, since she's moved to Calgary. It's only going to be because I was like uh, at her house, being like, "Homework's a loser." Come on, Carla. <laughs> maybe, maybe you could do the homework with her. Yeah. Oh, skinny bitches yeah. will be. Ooh, do good mornings. You yeah, could I'm do good mornings. Yeah. <laughs> My new so favorite. Good. Stretch and strength exercise. <laughs> Perfect. So, okay. So don't, don't overdo it. Don't, don't, don't overdo it. And how much. Don't you're going to do five runs in seven days. Exactly. I, I mean, unless, so, I mean, again, it always depends, right? It always depends on your goal and your starting point. You know, if you're somebody who wants to train for a marathon, you have a really good base built and it would help you because some people, they need to do more mileage in order to build the base that they need to run a really fast marathon. In that case, that's the right choice for you. But like, if Mm. you're not doing any runs per week and you want to start running, then doing five runs in seven days is probably not going to stick or feel good. It honestly sounds like you have a picture of me in front of you and you're just talking specifically about me. This is like, honestly, like, and not as a brag point, but more as like uh, to my, or to my like demise, probably eventually is going to be, is that like, I'll have like a TV show to do. And then I'll just be like uh, two weeks before it. I'll be like, Oh fuck. I gotta lose 30 pounds. (laughs) So then I'm just like, that's it. No carbs for two weeks. And then when I'm like on TV, I'm like, what the fuck happened? <laughs> but this is it. Like we always think, like we always think we need to do the most extreme thing, right? Like oh, yeah. mm-hmm. somehow that's what's there in most of our minds. Like, you know, I want to get fit. Okay, well, I'm going to go from doing nothing. I'm going to do five workouts a week and they're going to be an hour long each. I'm going to go to like lifting weights, which I don't actually know how to do, but somehow I'm going to suddenly have a five day a week <laughs> weight training program. This is very rational and I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then there's a lot of conversations I have with you sometimes that I feel like I also have with my therapist. So like, I think there's a, like a set there's a definite mental tie to <laughs> our expectations. There, no, there definitely is. Like we, I think we, we build things up pretty big mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it doesn't usually help us. Like that's, I think that if I could crystallize one of the biggest lessons that I've learned personally in terms of, of being successful and consistent in my own weight training programs has actually been like really scaling things back quite a bit, like scaling back how many goals I'm pursuing, what those goals are, you know, how fast I think I need to get there. Um, and by doing less, I have gotten so much more done and just feel so much more sane and so much more stable. That is like a very good lesson for Brittany and I. Any <laughs> <laughs> sort of if you can offer us any sort of stability in our lives, it would be greatly appreciated. I feel yeah. like that actually is part of what I do. <laughs> I, I was going to say, this sounds like, honestly, it's, this sounds like a therapy session. And I think probably, you know, I mean, as cheesy as it might sound is like, I, you probably, you probably take on a lot of people's, you know, shit while you're uh, trying to train. You're like, oh, this was about muscles, but now we're talking about your dad. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that's really natural. I think there's such a a strong connection between the brain and the body. And like, I think so much of what we do and don't do physically has to do with what's happened earlier in our lives. Like people can have all sorts of crazy stuff 
you know, in their brains about exercise and about what that means about them as a person. And uh, it, it can, it can feel heavy and hopefully I'm a safe space that people can talk about that. If that's what comes up for them, I'm cool with that. Yeah. I think it's, I think it, uh, like physicality is like inherent to our mental state in that we're 100%. like, percent. like we, we, you, you look at yourself, like, can I do this? And can I do that? And a lot of that relates back to like how healthy you are. And then, I'll, and then if that just keeps spiraling down to like, why can't I stay healthy? You know, oh, like, yeah. and then I can go like, oh, this is what my mom yes. said, or my dad said yeah. when I was five, and I didn't do those five push-ups. Like, but, there's, yeah, that stuff hangs on. You know, like, like you know, what happened if you you couldn't do something that somebody thought you should be able to do? Like, what was their attitude around that? Because, like, I mean, as a coach, I try to bring like cool like you know this didn't work this time like what happened do we need to change something but it's like amazing to watch like I can watch people be so hard on themselves because I gave them a correction in a squat and it's it's like I I totally get it because like I mean I can be hard on myself as well and that's something that I've had to work through but I think that's a really good place to like look at that like do you do you need to be feeling that way about yourself just because something happened in a squat or is this something where we just figure out what needs to happen and move forward from there yeah, I mean, even, like, as we were talking about this, I remembered, like, very vividly, every time I, like, anybody would lay on the ice after getting hurt, my dad would always say, you don't lay there unless your leg's broken. Whoa. If you can get off the ice, get off the ice. He's, like, yeah. a lovely man, lovely yeah. sweet yeah. man, but he yeah. just had this, like, the, it, there was, like, a, a, you know, a little bit of a morality to it that it was, like, don't lay there. You don't need help. Like, yeah. unless your legs are broken, you can skate off, you can get off yeah. the bench. Like, don't lay there like a sissy. Get up and get off the ice. Yeah. And I've just treated everything like that my entire life. Like I've just been like, yo, you can't like if if you're not hurt, then get out. But, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of moments where if you were a little bit more vulnerable, then you yeah. could figure out what the thing, what, what the problem was and solve it instead yeah. of just like skating off the ice while you're hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just like look at the practicality of that. Like there's value to say you have just taken a big hit, lying down, wiggle your fingers and toes, make sure everything feels okay. Cause getting up when everything isn't definitely okay can be risky. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in hockey with all those. Yeah. Things. So I think. Some- oh man. We're having some major breakthroughs here. Right? <laughs> Some interesting conversations with your dad later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's also just going to be like, this will be the one podcast he chose to listen to this month. And then he'll be like, <laughs> oh, shit. His feelings will be hurt because he's like oh, the nicest person yeah. I know. Yeah. He probably doesn't even remember. Like, that's probably nothing that's like a big thing, no. right? Like, he probably didn't. No, you, know, you just of... take you take those things in yeah. and you just you just sort of like live by them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you make a great point. Like, there are a lot of people who are otherwise totally lovely people. And even then you hear the words they say to themselves, and you're just like, oh, my goodness. Like, that actually really surprised me that you were willing to say, like, that that was there, that, you know, you think your body's disgusting or, you know, that you're being a sissy or whatever. And then you're like, but that doesn't necessarily jive what it seems like what the rest of the world is. But some stuff is just there and it's not your fault. You know, it's just present. Yeah, it's I and I think you're a lot harder on yourself than you'll ever be on anybody oh, else. Oh, my God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. me and my uh, me and friend of the pod Lena Newman <laughs> we always say uh, we always say to each other grew up together since grade two we always say like is that something you would say to me like as your friend is that something right. you would ever say to me then don't say it to yourself like we always say that to each other because we get really yeah. anxious about stuff yeah like would you ever be mad at me for doing that yeah and then it's like no I wouldn't yeah. and it's like then I'm not mad at you for doing that yeah. or don't say that about yourself kind yeah. Of thing. yeah that is the great kind of yeah. accountability like 
you know, your, your friends calling you to be good to yourself. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, so yes. So give us, give us your, your favorite one, your favorite myth bust. I don't know. I mean, no pain, no gain was probably my favorites. Oh, oh, here's okay. Uh, I'll give you two options. One, okay. the machines versus free weights, which is better right. or does lifting weights make women bulky? Ooh, I think the bulky thing. I hear that Brittany said that to me the other week, and I was like, oh, "We need to do this podcast." I, I, <laughs> did I? See, I don't even remember saying that, so. but it's for sure something I probably said. It, it was either you or somebody. I, you know what? I, I always think that about myself because I always think I'm so like butch. I I am a little butch, but like I like just naturally. But like I always think like lifting weights will butch me up too much. Well, so let's, is that true? Let's hear I, that one. I feel like that's the one that we should talk about then. Okay. <laughs> okay so high level, I mean, there's always a, a level of, of it depends, but um, it's very unlikely that a weight training program will make anybody bulky unless they're working very hard towards that goal. Yeah. Like, why would we think that now? Like you just said one sentence and I was like, <laughs> like when you think of the science of it, which you've explained to us, it's, it's small micro tears and you have to yeah. work very hard to gain yes. any muscle. Yes. So like, I literally haven't worked any at hard at anything in my life. And now I've decided that I'm going to lift one weight and yeah. look like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> well, I think that a lot of the people that are in popular culture that are famous for weight training are like the rock yes. or yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger, and they are bulky people. Yes. Or even um, Linda, this is like a very dude reference, is it Linda Hamilton from the Terminator 2? <laughs> she got like really big arms. Oh my god, I need to like yeah. look up who this person is. <laughs> I think that's her name, Linda, what is, is that right? Linda? Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, sometimes they talk. Me. Yeah, so we, I think maybe we just, we think weight training because that's what, and, and bulky wiry men with their veins popping yeah. out. I think I think that I think there is a very strong visual associated with that. And I, I mean I think that's part of why that myth has so much um so much hold is just the extreme version of somebody who has um you know gone through the work of becoming extremely, extremely muscular is like profound. Like you look at that and you're like, holy crap. Like you look at some of those old school bodybuilders, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And they are. They're huge people. Like they're very, very muscular. Um, and while that's, but I think he also has that as a part of his body too, yes, right? Yes. And I mean, that is right. kind of a caveat that I'm going to discuss a little bit later is like, there are definitely certain bodies that are going to put on muscle more easily than other bodies. And that is a thing that is a reality that's undeniable. Um, but this still kind of comes down to, um, how hard is it to actually make yourself into like a very bulky, very visibly muscular person? Um, right. Okay, so I'll ask you, Kyle. Um, like, if you look at me, would you say mm -hmm. I'm a bulky, muscular person? No, I think you have really cool arms. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't call you bulky. Okay, so I would say you, you just look very like you look fit. You yeah. look toned. Toned. So I mean, I'm like, like I would say I do. I'm gonna say four or five days a week of a combination of weight training and mobility training so like if that gives and i am um i mean if you've heard of like the body type endomorph ectomorph and mesomorph does that ring any bells have you guys heard these before yeah no. okay so ectomorph is like the very tall lean person like all models are ectomorphs 
Um, right. Endomorphs are people who um, generally tend more towards like softness um, and like a more rounded body. Um, Ooh, that's me. And then mesomorphs. <laughs> mesomorphs are people who put on muscle very, very easily. Um, and they're like, you kind of think about them as being like, like those bodybuilders, chances are, are like kind of a either mesomorphic or like kind of mesomorphic ectomorphic they, like the really longer leader ones will tend to be more in that direction but like i'm a pretty mesomorphic person i put on muscle pretty easily um and i eat quite a bit of protein so like i'm if somebody was gonna get bulky from like a four to five day a week weight training program i should be huge right right so like oh so you're like you're like more prone to putting on muscle yes and you're saying like you're not huge and bulky. I'm not huge and bulky. Even when I've done the most weight training, I have never been like huge and bulky. I have typically just been a person you'd look at and be like, oh, like she definitely has muscle tone. She definitely looks fit. Uh, my whole dad's side of the family is uh, the first one. Uh, the Nor- they're Norwegian and tall oh, and really, really slender. Yep. Uh, and my mom's side of the family, we're all uh, short and fat and Irish. <laughs> But we're all very funny. <laughs> we're fundomorphs. Very uh, fundomorphs. <laughs> we're fundomorphs. <laughs> we can fundomorph. A... Go ahead. That's... Go. No, I was just say that's a very important quality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh. It's certainly it cracks me up. Uh. Because they're like, what side of the family do you think you look more like? I'm like, <laughs> are we? Are we just doing a thing where we're pretending that I'm not the short, fat Irish side, or what? What are we doing here? <laughs> okay, so a couple of reasons that lifting weights is very unlikely to make women bulky. Just look at this from like a quick scientific perspective, like explanation-wise. One, hormonal makeup. So we have relatively more estrogen, and we don't have the testosterone that's going to lead to a lot of muscle building. Now, this is that women certainly can take steroids, and that does help with this. And often, when you see a woman who is extremely has a lot of muscle mass, there's a fairly high likelihood that she has not done it naturally just because it is very right. difficult. So, it's something to keep in mind. So, it's like I testosterone like and steroids. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the people on Bachelor are on steroids. <laughs> no, the no, the men. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I feel like that. And sorry, this is a total. This is going to be a little sidetrack. What's the difference between uh, like hormones and like creatine? Like, is creatine oh. just a form of protein, or is that uh, creatine supplements your muscles' natural fuel? Okay. Yeah. So it's not, it's not a, a hormonal situation. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it does work though. Like, if you want to, if you want to get uh, quickly very stronger, um, creatine yeah. can be very handy. Um, it does oh. though often make you retain water. Um, yeah. so like when I was in CrossFit, I, I don't need any help. yeah, <laughs> yeah. When I was doing CrossFit, I actually started supplementing with creatine and all my lifts went up, but my body weight did too. I put on about 10 pounds. So, oh, right. yeah, hmm. so it does work, but it, it kind of, again, it, whether you would want to use it depends on what your goals are. And at the time I wasn't stoked on gaining 10 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> just working your ass off and then yeah, you gain like 10 I'm pounds. Yeah, puffier and stronger. I don't know if this <laughs> Although being like, I guess I could tell all the other bros I am pretty swole. True. Yeah, I got quite swole quite often. (laughs) I I will say, like, 
like being able to clean and jerk more than your own body weight over your head, there is something very cool about that. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I still I also just it. love the phrase clean and jerk. Oh my god, isn't it great? <laughs> clean and That's jerk it. and then snatch is the other Olympic lift. <laughs> I don't know who named these and like didn't think like it was 100% a 12-year-old boy, Absolutely. and it just yeah. somehow got away with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen the t-shirts, like, clean, I jerk, and I have a nice snatch? <laughs> no. no, but I, I absolutely want one now. I think, I think. First, I'm getting it all yeah. spooled up, and then I'm going to get one of these t-shirts. Yes, let's do it. Um, okay, so hormonally, women a lot less likely to gain muscle mass than men when given the same training stimulus. Um, it's something to think about, too. Like, most of us are starting from actually not very much lean muscle mass in our bodies. Um, and that's part, like, there, we can gain quite a bit then of lean muscle mass before it really starts showing up as anything resembl- resembling bulk. Because fat is bigger, right? Is that it Fat has more thing. volume for the same amount of yeah. weight. Yes. But yeah, so like, let's say, for example, your muscles are not very developed, and then you start developing them more, you know, for somebody who has like, it, like, you know, looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, they have a ton of lean muscle mass. Whereas you, if you start with not that much muscle mass and start building it, it's going to take quite a long time before you look at, you know, your arm and be like, holy crap, I put, you know, so much weight in your, in your arm, because I've gained this muscle mass, what it's going to look like is your arm is toned. You know what I mean? So like, it's not like you just like snap your fingers or do one workout and go from like not built to extremely bulky. Like there's a process. You're going to you're gonna be like, oh, I have a little bit more tone. And then, you you know, you keep lifting weights down. Maybe you have a little bit more tone. And then at a certain point, you might be like, okay, like I'm pretty good with the amount of muscle tone that I have. Maybe I'm going to change my program and kind of maintain it a little bit more as opposed to build it. So it doesn't just happen all at once. You have like right. some warning before, you know, if you were somebody who was, you know, likely to gain that much muscle mass you have some time before you just show up and suddenly are the hulk (laughs) (laughs) which again goes back to and i think this is a fun point to circle around to is our expectations that Mm -hmm. even you know sometimes they're like oh i'm gonna like it's a bad thing that you're like oh i'm gonna wake up tomorrow and i'm gonna be exactly this person yes but also this is this is a good point where it's like you're not gonna be huge tomorrow so just no. lift a few weights. Yes. You'll be all right. Exactly. <laughs> See how you feel. See how it goes. See how you feel. Maybe You're not going to be Arnold yeah, Babes Collator tomorrow. <laughs> Although that is a fabulous name. <laughs> I tried so hard. After the vodka martini, I was like, can I make Schwarzenegger into Babes Collator? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I think we might have to have you back for another one, too. Oh. But I think for now, I'm good. Um, I'm good gonna... there. I'm very happy. So okay. perfect. Cool. I think we're going to move on to the the history real quick. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Carly can so, give us a quick history here. Actually, kind of talking about women and myth busting uh, and about bulking up. I'm actually going to talk about Katie Sedwina today, who is the who was the strongest woman that ever lived. Ooh. Oh my god! She was uh, part of Barnum and Bailey's circus, and she was a strong woman, but really interesting in that like she was not considered some kind of like this was in she was born in 1884 so this is sort of early 1900s she was considered like the perfect specimen of beauty of motherhood of equality like she wasn't considered a sideshow um even though the stuff she could do mental (laughs) so she was born uh may 7th in 1884 in vienna uh her parents were both 
performers in a circus, and so she obviously got in there. Her mom was six foot, her dad was six six, so she, you know, probably she was the first. She was the first morphic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm looking at a picture of right, her right now, and I'm seeing strong yeah. mesomorphic qualities. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so by the, her teens, she was almost six foot tall and 187 pounds, and she became the star of her father's circus. Like I said. Um, you know, she was also considered a beauty. She was always in lovely dresses. And her finale for her little show would be that they would challenge any man or woman in the audience to a wrestling match. And uh, she won every time. She's never, she never lost a fight. And one day, here's a meet cute for you. Um, <laughs> one day, a young man, 19-year-old man, who was an acrobat, uh, took the challenge and was completely knocked out. And then two years later, they got married. Aww. Oh, yeah. that's really and cute. So that's lovely. That's, that was her husband, Max. And he was actually quite a bit shorter. Well, quite a bit shorter. I mean, yeah, he, I think he was like 5'7". But I think he was like a normal looking guy. But obviously, compared to her, he was quite diminutive. Um, but he joined the act, and so they came to the States in 1909, and they became the Sanguinas Ooh. as this show. There's a story, probably apocryphal, probably an invention, that this other strongman, Eugene Sando, challenged her to a weightlifting match, and that Katie was able to fully lift 300 pounds above her head, whereas Sando was only able to lift it as high as his chest. So that's why then maybe the theory is that they took on this name of Sanduina, which is the female derivative of Sando. But probably just myth building because they eventually uh, get in with the Barnum and Bailey Circus and they become, they PR the shit out of this. Um, <laughs> but to explain some of the stuff that she could do, so she could do. Can, Okay, you may have to explain. Uh, continental jerk of 264 pounds. Continental, hold on. Continental, I literally never heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because that's from 1809. Ah, the old um, continental jerk. <laughs> I'm assuming it's just a normal jerk, oh, but oh, for some reason. Here we go. Okay, so um, the continental version of the clean and jerk allows the lifter to rest the bar on the body before making the transition to the shoulders. Okay. I'm trying to picture this. I'm resting the body because like usually a clean and jerk, like you're, your you, the bar comes from the floor and then you rest it. Um, like you rest it. Uh, have you ever seen somebody in a front rack? It's, it's kind of an awkward looking position, but it basically rests on your shoulder while it's also in your hands. But on oh, the yeah. body, I'm watching a YouTube right, video right now to see if I can find what this actually looks like. I'm fascinated. Oh, okay. So I see a guy here. He's like kind of cleaned it. He rested it on his lifting belt um, before he oh. kept moving it up, flipping it around and bringing it to his shoulders. Well, Interesting. I learned a thing. Hmm. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. That's, that's what we do here. We teach people. <laughs> Uh, so apparently she could do that for 264 pounds. I I don't know how much I can lift. Caitlin, how can I? How much can I lift right now? Doing it, but I don't know how much I can lift because I also am in using kilograms at the moment. I don't think it's 264 pounds. I'm just giving reference. Um, she could also do 176 in her right hand alone, and she could press 200 pounds. 
Yeah, well, mm. uh, I'm looking at her numbers right now and feeling really inadequate. <laughs> <laughs> she also had an act containing a 600-pound cannon, which she would, like, balance the end of the cannon on her chest and, like, hold it up in the air. There's a picture of it online, too. It's, she could bend iron bars, break iron chains. She would use her husband as a human barbell, which ah, I love. So good. Oh, my God, I love it. Yeah, um, there's like some weird carousel platform that she had, like where it was like a little, almost like a bridge, and she would lift, like, put that on her chest, and there were like 14 people on it. Um, she'd lay on a bed of nails with an anvil on her chest. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> um, even when she was pregnant, she continued to do all of her shows. This is, she was still touring across America. The day before she gave birth to her son, she did two shows. So. <laughs> I don't know. I, I I can't do this, let alone do it while pregnant. Uh, she had a son named Theodore Roosevelt, friend of the pod. He's not a friend. He's dead. But it's friend. I like him. Um, <laughs> not the son, but the president. Anyways. Um, and at two years old, he weighed 50 pounds, which is twice as large as a normal baby. Damn. He weighed 50? How many pounds? 50. Did we yeah, know how tall he was? I don't know. I think he was probably like a normal heighted two-year-old. Oh my god! But I'm trying to think. I don't know how much a two-year-old weighs, but I think it's 25 pounds is normal. Uh, but this is right around the time that they got cited by John Ringling, who worked for the Barnum and Bailey Circus, and they signed her. Uh, and she became like the the focal part of the the circus. And it was a, so. This is where this weird PR thing comes in. They would put on tons of like press appearances. They would get people to interview her all the time. She was measured on stage by doctors, and, like, they had all of her measurements done publicly. Wow. Um, But the thing that's very interesting about this is that she was always described in feminine terms. terms. She was never called masculine. Often it was, like, classical Greek, so she was, like, a heroic work in marble or Lady Hercules. They would refer to her as superwoman. Wow. Um, one quote from Kate Carew, who was kind of the Barbara Walters at the time, said, Her form is fit for a mother of kings and heroes. She is 25 years old, weighs 210 pounds, and moves as lightly as a greyhound. She is as majestic as the Sphinx. So it's very interesting in that this time, which is like a Victorian time, women shouldn't have been doing this kind of stuff. So it's interesting that they kind of reference it much more around that femininity. Yeah, I love that, actually. Yeah, I do, too. Back in the day, they would have been like, who's this freak? And they were so, like, in yeah. awe of her. Yeah. Yeah, and especially in a circus. Yeah. But, but not. So um, there's also a really weird part of this, that back in that time, um, the climate was uh, quite happy with the idea of, it was the, uh, the theory of eugenics. Oh, yes. Mm. Yeah. So... Um, <laughs> Katie was promoted as the perfect specimen. I mean, she's German. She's white. She's, yeah, I think she has brown hair, so she's screwed up on that one. But, um, <laughs> so yeah, they, that was kind of part of this whole, like, PR thing of, like, publicing, public, publicly measuring her was that the doctors would proclaim her as perfect. Her son was a, a super baby. Uh, they would call him because, and that kind of reflects the genetics, her genetics. And so that's kind of a weird side thing. Um, 
but kind of also a really positive thing was that uh, due to her size and nature and she was because she was much taller and more stronger than her husband she was actually seen as proof that suffrage could work because if a woman like this she can lift her husband over her head therefore yeah maybe women can vote maybe they can be equal so she actually was the vice president in 1912 for the circus's women's suffragette group so um, and she was also you know asked for parenting tips due to her two-year-old son being 50 pounds and being able to lift a 25 pound uh, dumbbell so really interesting lady they it is kind of debated actually how much she can actually lift right right because it was part of the circus but i mean strength historians which i did not know was a thing but i'm delighted they, they believe i know Ner- nerd. Uh, <laughs> yeah yeah we are um, I mean, like, she may not have been able to, maybe that, that cannon wasn't 600 pounds, maybe it was 400, but, like, they had people standing on her. Like, it wasn't, like, you know, there wasn't, I don't think it was that much trickery. It sounds like it was still very impressive, even if it wasn't, like, as extreme as they, she was promoted as. Now, speaking, we were talking earlier about 67-year-olds flipping tires. Yes. Uh, yes. She retired at the age of 64. This is in the late 1940s. She was still doing all this crazy shit. Good. (laughs) That makes me very happy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so when she retired, her husband and her opened a restaurant in Queens. Uh, She'd still put on little performances and stuff at the restaurant. And she would also deal with the drunk patrons. And oftentimes they would actually like return to apologize to her. Um, but one time she was cautioned by the police for ejecting a patron who said then, mama, don't hit him too hard. Uh, <laughs> I probably like literally ejecting. Yes. Yeah, exactly. There's, that like with the, uh, Jazzy Jeff from Fresh Prince, just oh, yeah. flying out. <laughs> Uncle, Uncle Phil tossing her, tossing him out. Yeah. I love it. Um, so yeah, so unfortunately she died not that long after of cancer, but, um, yeah, she's this, this crazy figure of, uh, Victorian and, and sort of Edwardian weight training, I guess. That's pretty exciting. That is. Fantastic. Yeah. That is Good very history, Carla. Yes. <laughs> that is history. <laughs> I did it. You did it. <laughs> I, I did history. <laughs> Now uh, I can call myself, what did I call it? A strength historian? A strength yeah, historian. You are, strength, you are now a strength, strength. historian. You're, you're not just a strong historian. You're also a strength historian. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Now, Brittany, do you have uh, any news stories about weight training? You bet your sweet ass I do. Ah, this is kind of fun. This is a little self-serving, but whatever. Um, <laughs> so this entire podcast. I uh, found a little article about uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, and uh, CSNBC, this is where the article come from, uh, comes from, is uh, did an interview with him and they asked him, what are two things that are just what what is the key to life? What makes you healthy? What makes you uh, feel like you can uh, get it still at, I think he's 67 years old. And he says, oh. transcendental meditation and weight training will solve just about anyone's life. Um, which we covered transcendental meditation in or meditation uh, meditation that's the I think that's the thing the Beatles 
the Beatles did it. The Beach Boys did it. There are a lot of uh, very famous people who do uh, transcendental meditation. Ellen DeGeneres. It's like, I gotta say, like, and it's not like, it's not weird and culty. It just sort of seems like it might work. I, this is how easy I could join a cult. I'm telling you. (laughs) I read one thing and I'm just like, I'm doing transcendental meditation now because I loved one Beach Boy song. Um, which is not true. I loved them all. I, <laughs> um, but I won't. I won't go too much, obviously, into the um, transcendental meditation. But he just he just says it's um, essentially transcendental meditation. Just sort of go over it is uh, uh, twice a day uh, to repeat the same mantra over and over and over and over again uh, to yourself and meditate on it. So you're essentially just meditating on goals is really what it is, and meditation is good for you. But he also says weight training three times a week. Seinfeld's workout routine includes a mix of lifting weights for an hour and an interval cardio training three times a week. Seinfeld initially got into weight training by doing Bill Phillips' Body for Life program, a 12-week diet and exercise regime that includes I did that. <laughs> exercising six times a week, three ty- three days for lifting weights, and three days uh, for high intensity. In- intensity uh, interval training and eating six small meals a day now exercise is a crucial part of his daily routine so he doesn't necessarily do that but he does um he does focus on the weight training he says there are a lot of days where i want to cry instead of do it because it really physically hurts which we talked about uh, maybe it's a good hurt he's talking about hopefully. Uh, seinfeld Hope says, so. hopefully yeah. seinfeld says but i just think it's very balancing to the forces inside humanity that I think they just overwhelm us. Oh, that's not really anything to do about weight training, more just to do about Seinfeld's own demons. Um, <laughs> and I mean, he's not a guy that you would think would do weight training. Like, well, not at all. Training. Like he's so slender and all this stuff. So he says yeah. the physical activity guidelines uh, are, oh no, he's just, this just goes in to tell you the physical activity guidelines for Americans suggest that adults get 150 to 300 minutes a week or 20 to 45 minutes a day of moderate to intense activity, or 75 minutes to 150 minutes a week of vigorous intensity uh, activity. So is that true? That sounds about legit. I mean, that's a pretty big range. Like if you break down what he's actually saying, like that could look like a whole lot of different things. That could be, you know, 45 minute walks daily. Um, right. You know, or that could be, you know, an hour of weight training a couple of days a week. I mean, I'm not going to do the math right now. I thought about it for a minute there. I actually started trying to do the math and then it was just. <laughs> also, I love that the ranges are like, they just could, this just could include anything. Oh, they're they're massive. like 150, yeah. 150 <laughs> to 300 minutes a week. Yeah. You're like, yeah. okay, so like you could do half of that or the full, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, again, like, I'm going to say that that might be the goal, but like, let's say you do zero minutes, then 60 minutes a week of exercise would be a really good place to start. And then maybe look at building towards those, you know, what, 150 minutes a week. Right. So like, you know, even if you, you know, that's looking intimidating to a person, like start with something smaller and maybe that's the end goal. That's cool. Well, I will tell you this. The picture on the article is him looking very smug uh, in front of a building with sunglasses on. I think so. he's a smug looking person. Very he's a smug. I love Jerry. He's Mitchell. only, me too. He's <laughs> only working out the muscle in his face to keep his fucking <laughs> smug looking grim, grimace. 
<laughs> That's gonna take a lot of work. Uh, yeah. So uh, if, if Jerry Seinfeld can do it, you can do it too. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, right on. I think. Uh, are we ready to move into the drink? Woo! This is the always the exciting. Uh, Caitlin, you've picked for us this week the vodka martini. I have high efficiency, and you make high efficiency. <laughs> I like. <laughs> That's legitimately how I sold it to Carla too. I, you know what? I wondered what your reasoning was going to be. I thought too, like locale, but I like that it's more high efficiency than it is locale. (laughs) Well, because there's no extra stuff in there, really, right? Like it literally is like it's the alcohol in a combination that's tasty without without a whole lot of extra sweet stuff. So that's a thing. That's legitimately a thing. So how did you make yours? Uh, My boyfriend made it. <laughs> the best way. Exactly. I didn't exactly oversee. I know that there was. I know that there was vodka. Um, yeah. I know that there is triple sec. Or no, sorry, not triple sec. Um, vermouth. Um, nice. And I know that there is lemon. That's so. That's how. Uh, yeah. That's essentially how I made mine as well. I went uh, dry vermouth. A shot of dry vermouth. I went. Uh, it's supposed to be three shots of vodka. Is it really? But I did <laughs> one. Yeah. Oh to one, three to one. So yeah. I did. Uh, I actually just went two to one because I was like, Jesus, I gotta drive tomorrow. I think so. that is more like what mine is like as well. Three, wow. Yeah. yeah so I went two to one, and then um, uh, I liked that you picked the lemon. Uh, that was nicer to me than the olive taste. I'm just kind of more of a citrus flavor than I am an olive uh flavor in a drink. The citrus one's uh, refreshing. It's yeah. so refreshing, and it kind of it masks that um like that instant burn of the vodka it does yes uh so there's actually uh, carla wait carla how did you make yours i did the same i did um probably half a lemon i squeezed in as well and then i had to look up how to do the lemon twist because i don't i was like oh, oh i you love do the it, lemon like, fancy twist thing. but you just like cut it like cut a slice and then just like remove the rind and so you just have like a flat thing and then you just twist it this is a little less exciting when I said it was going to be. <laughs> you wanted more. You wanted it to be harder. I thought it was going to be like a curl, you know, like curl, um, like uh, like ribbon or whatever. I thought that's what I was going to be doing. Like take the, no, pair of, yeah. the edge of a pair of scissors to it and kind of just like a little exactly. bit. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the... And, and that's not how nature works. The martini actually, it has a pretty long history. And it didn't start out as a a vodka martini. It essentially started out as a dry gin martini, if we're going to talk about making it the same way. And that sort of surfaced in the around 1890s sort of thing. Um, uh, People were making a dry martini, which is, like I said, was a a dry gin. And then uh, a little bit of uh, vermouth and uh you know whatever citrus that they wanted to Uh, but the first time it was in print was in 1904 in a book called stewart's fancy drinks and how to mix them thanks stewart Stewart. you really did us good (laughs) this guy's it wasn't until a little bit after prohibitions that the altered the world's drinking taste um, so people like Ernest Hemingway were, who were sort of famous or infamous rather for drinking and he traveled all over the place. So he brought sort of the U S cocktail. America was really kind of one of the first places to start making like the cocktails we drink today. Like a lot of the history dates back to just a little before prohibition and then it got fancy after because Ernest Hemingway went out, saw the world and started bringing back other flavors. So vodka 
actually didn't really surface until oh like the early 1950s like it wasn't really a big thing in in uh the u.s and canada because canada was always known for its lighter whiskeys and what they called bathtub gin in the u.s which were people were just sort of making it at home uh it wasn't until people traveled abroad and then came back and that sort of cocktail thing was in full swing and that would have been in the 1950s and vodka had been all the rage in Poland and Russia for centuries before that but it just like really wasn't a big thing in North America. So it had like a major impact on our society or not society but I but drinking culture I guess and we also society probably probably society because it was, uh, when it came in the vodka martini became like a really like manly sort of drink to drink like everybody was really into it it was like all booze and that was something they deemed as manly back in the day and it made its way into a lot of things that we see today like james bond uh mm-hmm. who makes then, it wrong yeah and so that was that that was the big thing um when he re- recited the recipe to the bartender in the first uh, Bond novel, he said three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, half a measure of Kina Lit, uh, which would have been like a vermouth, shake very well until it's ice cold, and then ar- add a large slice of lemon peel. So that was, uh, and then he obviously he had vodka engine in him, hardcore. Yeah, and then and then he would, and then he'd always say his uh, famous. Uh, saying shaken not stirred i mean to be fair he probably does need it watered down he has a business he is on a job <laughs> he's on the clock. i love that i also love that your version of watering down is watering it down with another uh, like gin is watering it down <laughs> no, no, if you're, if you're shaking it you're you're making the ice more like the ice will melt more right so then it's yeah. watering it down i guess I don't know. <laughs> now I need to try a martini with gin and vodka. I'm legitimately curious what this will taste like. It's going to be tonight, too. Uh, um, <laughs> definitely might be. Yeah. It became such a prevalent thing in all, like, the, you know, all the coolest people's hands. You know, Dean Martin and the Rat Pack were all drinking right, vodka yeah. martinis. It was such a big thing, and everybody sort of had their twist on the recipe. So, you know, a lot of people today, you know, there's a million different kinds of martinis, but really it did start with the gin martini and then evolved next into the vodka martini. And then everybody sort of has their own version of it uh, like us today. But uh, I think we stayed pretty true to that original sort of lemon uh, vermouth and uh, vodka. So, yeah. So there's a little history on the old vodka martini. There we go. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't realize actually the I thought the vodka thing was maybe going to be more new, but um so did i cool that the rat pack drink <laughs> i know i heard that too i'm like yes we are so cool right I'm now like, cool. we're the i should mention that i got that uh from junkie.com which was uh it was a really fun uh article to read and it's it's a lot longer than uh what i uh uh, gave you there but there's a lot of great information on the vodka martini and a lot of fun stuff in there so that was off okay. junkie.com we can uh, we'll link that in the show notes. Yeah. And how uh, does everybody like their their vodka martini with the lemon? Everyone enjoying it? Oh my god, it's so good. Delightful. It's like 
it's so refreshing. I actually, I'm just headed out to my uh, sister's quarantine birthday party. We've quarantined with my parents and we're supposed to have uh, margaritas tonight, but I might have to slip a few martinis in there. <laughs> well, you'll look real cool. So that's, that's real yeah. important. Uh, Carla, do you have any fun facts for us? I do. So a couple little things on uh, weight training, just some benefits, really. Uh, about 60% of people who weight train get an average of seven hours or more per, of sleep per night, which is also obviously very good for mental health and all the basic Very good. Sleep is so important. Yeah. And um, this is what I harp on my mom all the time about, but um, by the by the time that you turn 80, uh, you will have lost 50% of your muscle mass. So if you don't do anything, yeah. so lifting weights really can help with that. I mean, that unfortunately, I think, contributes to a lot of things, you know, breaking your hip, yeah, not being able to flip a tire in the middle of the parking lot. <laughs> Other similar life issues. Not muscle mass too, but um, bone density is actually another right. um, really important thing because I, oh, I can't remember the cutoff, but I think it's, is it after age 25? we start losing bone density and women are at a much higher risk. Like we, we tend to lose bone density much faster than men, um, especially post-menopause and resistance training is also um, very important to make sure that we maintain the bone density that we have for as much of our lives as possible. Right. And apparently, um, interestingly that women maybe like, so I read that women's muscles actually recover faster yes. than men's yep. because we regenerate ATP faster. So we should be doing this. What? Don't be letting the boys do this stuff. Get out there. Oh yeah, women are women. So a lot of coaches actually say that they prefer coaching women. Like not only do we follow instructions better. Surprise, surprise. Um, <laughs> often we also actually like we'll put out more effort. We try harder, um, and we do. We recover not just um, from like a workout and like you know recovering before you can do another workout, but we actually also recover faster like within the workout. So we can do a lot. Like we can do tons. Maybe our absolute strength or absolute muscle mass gain won't be as high, but yeah, women should absolutely be weightlifting. Cool. Um, and the other thing that I think kind of touches our society with, uh, with weight training is obviously the Olympics, um, which only became an official sport in 1920. And until 1964, it was illegal for the bar to touch your legs or hips while you're doing the lift. Which, Interesting. Caitlin, you said you shouldn't be doing anyway. I'm wondering what the context for this is for. So illegal for the bar to touch the legs or the hips during lifts. So is that during like the clean and jerk and the snatch? I'm guessing so, yeah. Must be. Yeah. Illegal? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because like you do keep the bar very close to you as you're like right. throughout the lift. So for it to not be able to touch the legs or the hips, that would be... Yeah. You'd have to be real careful. Yeah. I got to yeah. admit, you've had me on the edge of my seat waiting from the beginning to figure out what illegal leg touching was going to be. <laughs> yeah, it's maybe not as exciting as it, as it sounds. No, but, it's uh, circled around. That's fantastic. <laughs> Carla, are um, those your facts? Those are my facts. Um, thank you, Kaylin, so much for coming on. We'll have to have you on another time we'll do some we could do weightlifting too amazing two. I, I yeah I, I did accumulate like many 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 myths for this so I'm 
many many lists <laughs> so yeah i feel like i feel like we're, we're gonna need you again and then maybe i will have uh done some weight training in the next episode <laughs> and i'll have something to uh to fall back on here both of those things sound absolutely amazing to me <laughs> well, um, well we can't think people, enough uh, oh thank you how can people get out to you or reach out to you or um What's your, what's your social? <laughs> My social. Um, so I don't have a, I'm, I'm actually terrible at socials. So I'm just going to be super transparent about that. Um, I am on Facebook under Caitlin Wilby. Um, my first name is spelled K-A-I-T-L-Y-N. Last name will be W-I-L-B-E-E. So you can find me and you can message me. Um, I have absolutely no content on there. <laughs> and uh, Instagram wise, I'm also at Caitlin Wilby. Um, but again, not a whole lot of fitness stuff. So that is that is definitely, I'll be, I'll be honest, that's a growth edge for me. I don't have a whole lot going on social media wise, but if anybody wants to get in touch and wants to talk fitness, um, I'm so happy to do that. And I do in-person sessions in Vancouver. Um, and I also do virtual sessions like Carla and I are doing right now, considering that she has left me and moved to Calgary. I was like not willing to give up Kate. I was like, okay, I'll move to Calgary. You have to come with me. Either you're moving or we're doing this kind of video. That is, and it worked pretty well, actually, I have to say. I, the video, yeah. Things are working that has been such a weird um, and unexpected benefit of COVID for me is um, is pivoting and doing some virtual sessions um, because that's something I probably never would have done otherwise. And um, it's let training go on. Um, I've actually picked up some new clients doing it and they're doing awesome. And like, so it's, it's super amazing that I have people who are like doing great and either I haven't seen them in person in like months or I've never even met them. So Great. Such a and can, can tell you, I actually show up now to almost all my. She sessions. does on time and everything. <laughs> yeah, well, that no longer fifty percent canceling three hours before. So, well, if that's not a silver lining, then I don't know what is. Uh, <laughs> well, you guys, you know what? We do this every week, and uh, once again, thank you so much to our uh, guest, Coach Caitlin. Um, please hit her up on um instagram regardless of content uh <laughs> just say hi to uh, me, please just, yeah <laughs> DM and say, i'd like to hire your services um <laughs> you've been incredibly informative and inspiring this episode so i hope everybody goes out there uh, knowing a little bit more about weight training and feeling a little better about it yes uh and uh, listen, we, we do this every week. Uh, we're so excited that you listen. And uh, if you have any ideas, let us know. Instagram us, DM us at lifepairingspodcast.com with your ideas. Maybe show us your lift and snatches. Oh, my God. <laughs> send them videos of your lifts and snatches. Yeah. <laughs> of the lifting you variety. Can, you yeah, can leave, the, you can leave your jerks at home because we know what will happen. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, if you uh, need to know any more about us hit us up at lifepairingspodcast.com hit that Patreon button and see what extra we have to offer uh, we love that you listen and we love that you keep coming back thank you so much thanks guys